Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I have had the privilege of meeting a number of individuals that have shared fascinating stories from their experiences in the pre-COVID, COVID, and now in the expanded COVID period. Out of 220 podcasts to date, many of my guests have highlighted their commitment to help a variety of charitable and social impact agencies. Examples of two such organizations that have recently stood out to me include, first, the In From The Cold charity that Abir and Aya Al-Qadri from A to Z Liquidation support. They were my guests on episode 220. Second, the Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids is just one charity that Matthew Andrade and his family business, Gentleman Rogue, are supporting. Matthew was my guest on episode 200. Take the time to consider donating to either one or both of these organizations. Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids can be found at bbck4.org and In From The Cold has a unique website, onesmallgift.ca. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Barry Lawrence, you're on the air. Oh man, if I'd have known that, I would have, I would have stopped on the way here. <laughs> How's it going, Al? Be- terrific, Barry. Welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I wanted to let you know this is episode number 234, and I'm hoping because of your business, I just want to use this reference. You have not had that many incidents, or your clients have not had that many health and safety incidents in the in the past year or ever. No, as a matter of fact, we're we're doing pretty good. We're about aces, so we're we're okay. Thirty four though was a good year for me. So uh, nineteen thirty four. I mean, how well, old are you, man? Age thirty four. <laughs> but uh, so I'm excited about that. But it's two thirty four though, so you got to add the two hundred on there. So you got a long ways to go to get that age. Well, you know, safety is a game of of you know infinite divisions. So. <laughs> I, I only chose to hear what I wanted to. Good. So, let, well, so on that note, let's we've talked safety, and, and but let's introduce your company, Bastion Safety Solutions. I love the name. It's like just it just it just denotes uh, something, but that's your symbol. You've got a symbol to go with that. But Barry, introduce yourself and your company, please. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, so my name is Barry Lawrence. I'm with a company called Bastion Safety Solutions. Uh, Bastion's been around for probably a little approaching 10 years now. Uh, and we've, uh, we've been doing the, the safety and, and safety savings uh, route for companies. So we don't typically do what a normal safety company would do. We get in and we work with you so that you understand the best way to manage your own safety. And then we lance in and help out where we can. We have a really cool software that we offer that will manage time and, and paperwork for you and also manage delivery. So it takes a lot of the administration and overhead out of your work. And right. not, then not only that, but I mean, if you're familiar with safety, uh, we're subjected to um, many different kinds of audit uh, auditing to make sure that we are doing what we say we do. And we have an easy audit format to make sure that you always meet exactly what your needs are. So I get, I mean, I want to first go up with something you said at the beginning, safety savings. So maybe you can unpack that because I, I understand safety, but what do you mean by safety savings? That's an interesting uh, point. Well, you know, ultimately, if you're really to look at it, um, what safety, the principles of safety are, um, write what you do yeah, and then do what you wrote, right? 
So uh, ultimately, if you're going to write down something, don't write down something you wouldn't do. Don't make it fancy. Don't make it overly difficult. Uh, and then uh, when it comes down to it, uh, engage your people. So if you have people that know better ways to do things, talk to them during development or yeah. run or run your processes by them. Uh, and then uh, you may find that you're you're wasting a lot of money throughout um, your safety um Going through the motions, you, kind yeah. of, you get people cutting. So, so the savings could be time, money, and just res and personnel resources. Well, and administration, right? So, like, you've been around a while. I mean, you and I chatted about um, about backgrounds, and with that, like that really great background. Hey, I'm old. I'm 54. You said you're 34. I'm 54. I'm, I've got some age on you, man. Uh, I'm not 34. <laughs> I'm 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 42. But who's counting? <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, like you've been around and seen the the gears and, and you know the behind the veil when it comes to how how companies operate, and yeah. the waste is phenomenal. I mean, like I've I've heard guys refer to safety and and safety people as a leak in the payroll, and and altogether, if you were to look into what what us safety nerds call legislation there's not one single reference to a safety officer or a safety advisor in legislation everything rests on the shoulders of supervision so wow. so if you're paying a safety guy a good wage um why you know i'm probably going to get crucified by some no, of look, my peers let's, but... let's that i just love this because you know the say if you have a if you there's so many ways it can cost you there's so many ways it can cost you if you have an incident let's just say you know, you know Okay, say so we don't need a safety guy. So you have an incident. There's reputation. There's claims. There's down. You know that downtime. I mean, I'm I'm just giving you the quick, quick and dirty. So it it prevent. What is that? Something prevention is that that worth that you probably know that better than I do. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, you know, if you were going to get into the math, we have a couple ways to describe it, right? And and I mean, a good safety guy or a good safety professional nowadays, yeah, um, has to be charismatic. They have to know cost benefit. Um, you have to understand how business works in order to work with the business rather than hamstring them, right? So um, we operate on what's called the iceberg model when it comes to incidents and, and figuring out what costs are. And the whole concept of the iceberg model is that the face value or what you see as the cost of an incident is only 20%. So unless you've been trained or you've been around business for a while, you don't understand that there's retraining costs. There is costs with driving your people to medical to receive medical attention. There's modified yeah. work costs. There's WCB costs. There's management costs with handling the incident on the like in-house. Oh, and then there's I, I, yeah, I can I can relate. We'll come to that because I can really have a real practical story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then and then not only that, but you know, if you have an incident, you're going to pay for it on your WCB for three years if it's a medical yes. aid, right? So that's three years of inflated rates. So um, I mean, insurance is probably the most criminal of all costs because it's paying for just in case something goes wrong. Yes. So we want to keep those rates as low as possible, right? Oh, it's okay. so the downtime of the resources. I'll just give you the, the water tower broke in. Uh, it was a steam. There was a steam tank, and it, there was only three three bolts holding it up, and it was never meant to be filled up. This was in Qatar, mm -hmm. and literally it collapsed, crushed. The guy was on top of it. They were just doing some routine maintenance, and he, it, you know, killed one of the employees. But the six months it took them six months for the whole. It was down. They didn't touch it for probably a month until they could get the H, you know, the, the actual investigation. It was a long and arduous process for one incident. I mean, that was, I'm not saying it was minor, 
but it was one incident. It did, wasn't even the major part of the uh, factory. Well, and, and that's precisely it. I mean, when we get into business and start a business, we don't actually start a business so we can deal with all of the tertiary or sidebar items that come along with it, right? If you're good at making widgets and installing widgets, that's what you want to do to make money. And anything that's not supporting widget making is costing you money. Right. Right. So let's let's talk about the because your name Bast is it did, sorry is it your company that you've been working there for ten years just to give clarity because you're it's it lists you as a director but I thought this was your company. Oh yeah, Bastion is uh, Bastion's uh, my brainchild, and uh, and it's kind of uh, the amalgamation of. 25 years of being in industry and and being heavily steeped in that that northern Alberta safety culture and then yeah. and then being thrown into a commercial safety culture and then learning how to make the two kind of merge. Well, you cut your teeth. I'm looking. I look at your your resume. I looked at your resume. You was really good, Barry. Thank you for. Um, but if I looked at you, you know your profile, and the, you've got you cut your teeth with Worley Parsons. I mean, they're in my view, they're blue chip. Mm -hmm. Well, and Worley Parsons, and then prior to Worley Parsons, I was Halliburton, and um, okay. you know, and then when I was growing up, I grew up in an oil town, so I grew up in like like Imperial Oilville, right? So, yeah. so for for me, I mean, this is what I faced every day growing up. I grew up. My second job, my first job, I was a dishwasher. My second job, I was an electrician. Nice. But that, that's, so I mean, literally that, the, the Worley Parsons, Halliburton, you're, you're cutting your teeth, but you're getting, and I'm going to say the blue chip name, name goes along with processes and procedures and policies that, that are, that you transfer across, you know, wherever you are. I mean, they, you step into an office. I worked in Russia, Kazakhstan, the Middle East. They're there too. Mm -hmm. So I imagine you had very similar processes across the globe. For sure. You know, one of the things that I noticed is when I was pulling processes from Worley Parsons. Um, we would pull a process and, and they did their best to make sure that you were pulling something that they had already written to save time and money. Right. Yeah. So when we're pulling something on how we're going to do ground penetrations or whatever, uh, we pull a process and we realize that this was written for somewhere in a desert over in Africa. <laughs> right. So it doesn't exactly work with the concept of permafrost yeah, and, got and shale or oil sands that we may have up here. So like, I mean, as big as they are and, and as great as it, as it is to have all this resource at your fingertips, you had to be careful to make sure that you were employing a policy or procedure that would work in your region, right? Relevant. Yeah, relevancy. To, I mean, literally, I had this discussion with, because in, in the Middle East, it's sand on the, the track. So if you take train tracks, in Canada, it's snow blowing on the tracks. And they tried to do the same philosophy. It doesn't, it's not the same. Because sand migrates, it moves like a, like a beast across the desert. And it goes over the tracks. So they, there's this is an interesting the dilemma for the health and safety side, mm -hmm. uh, what they deal with versus Canada and the North. Well, yeah. but what you've highlighted is something that's really interesting, right? I mean, uh, you asked what, like, you know, a bit about Bastion. Uh, yeah, I'm the owner, but um, one of the things that we, that we pride ourselves in is, you know, we sit ourselves in a situation and we, we try to understand it before we, before we move forward. So um, precisely like, Hey, snow and sand, it may seem the same at first glance, but when you get into it, you realize that sand has its own characteristics. Snow is not yeah. necessarily going to get into your mechanical equipment and destroy it. I mean, you can get yourself. Oh yeah, that's right. But if you get sand into something, uh, it's, it's toast, right? Imagine getting sand in a gearbox. It's, it'll pulverize so and thicken like your oil and then turn into garbage, right? So one area that caught my attention, and, and because we kind of talk about that, the sand that gets into the repair, the repairs and maintenance. So you, uh, one of the things I saw on your website is facilities management. Is that 
a big area aspect of your business? Yeah. You know, um, so Bastion, like I didn't start out as a safety guy. Uh, so prior to that, I was, uh, I started out as an electrician. I moved into overhead crane maintenance, which gave me a, a fairly significant uh, mechanical background. And I was pretty lucky in terms of getting to work with some pretty great professionals on the way through. So the first thing I learned was work ethic. And then the next thing I learned was, you know, how to be good at what you do. And, and I, I pretty much had that, that luck with, with great people all the way up through my career, not saying I didn't have the odd, the odd person to deal with that was a little less than positive, but, um, but at the same time, overall, my career has been very, very, um, well decorated with great mentors. Right. So, um, so I started out, uh, in, uh, in the trades and, uh, around about 2000, I kind of took, made the jump to management and I started through an, an organization called PMAC or the plant engineering and maintenance association of Canada. Okay. And that's when I got introduced to capital cases and, you know, capital expenditures versus, you know, like everything else and writing off, um, running off expenses for operating equipment and whatnot. So, uh, and I spent about probably the better part of eight years running maintenance for big, big organizations like, like Halliburton, uh, like Safeway and, uh, and then, and the like, right. So you, you get pretty steeped in all the red tape that's there, but not only that, yeah. uh, maintenance managers, my heart goes out to them because if something breaks down at 4am, guess who's getting a call and showing up at the plant. Right. So, and it was always like that. The quality of life was awful because equipment just breaks. That's what it does, right? People run it. Well, that's, you know, that in those early days, you know, today's technology sort of helps with sensors and the alarms and, and the remote kind of, I don't, I don't, does that come into play? Maybe it's still the same. The guy still gets up, he or she gets that call at four in the morning, even there's a sensor there and all kinds of safety features, but you still got to get out there. Well, you know what? And, and that's a great point. So, um, we put all sorts of technology into everything. So, um, you know, I did, um, I took one plant, like when I came into one of the organizations that I was with, I came in and the plant was number 63 out of 63 plants for production and, uh, and, and gold, like, you know, so low rank, you mean rank 63, 63rd out of 63 plants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And it was, a, well done. You got it. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. It was a manufacturing facility. So, I mean, yeah. uh, there was nowhere to go but up, right? So if you showed up and yeah. you could rub two clues together, you could at least make a good job. Um, <laughs> so by the by the end of year one, we were number we were yeah. number two. Uh, and all it was was just, I mean, you know, great education, great mentorship from people throughout my career, and and just understanding, right? Like I had that plant engineering and maintenance association behind me. I had an understanding of capital expenditures and costs. I could build I could yeah. build great cases when it came to downtime. We we increased the um, we increased the output of one of our manufacturing machines by ninety six percent, right? So it wasn't hard. Like I walked in and I said, "Well, yeah, I can do this. Just let me show you." They gave me the go ahead, and on my very first project, we we knocked it right out of the park. So after that, I could do whatever I wanted, right? Okay, so this begs the question: What? Wait, how many metrics are ranking to get the sixty third to go up? I mean, you jump. It's like a you know. Some some low end NHL team or whatever premiership in the U- UK where they jump from the div one up to div or div four to div one. But tell me, is there some key f- four or five metrics that m- allowed you to jump the scale so quickly? Time or so high? Time. In other words, you know, like culture doesn't change unless people see you, 
right? They see the boss doing the same thing that they do. So I just showed yeah. up at the plant. If there was a breakdown, I was invested. If somebody needed to be there, I showed up. So like that first year was exhausting, right? But, you know, a leader's got to lead. And, uh, and if you expect people to just fix it and they don't know who you are and they don't see your face because they're on night shift, then there's, um, that presents a whole different issue when it comes to investment, right? So, or, or seeing investment or understanding urgency. So, um, the first year was really exhausting. Uh, we did so, we, we yeah. did so well, we made it onto the R and D fleet and, uh, and, and they started sending us research and development that was like in the engineering phase. And that was, that was a whole different ball of wax. Oof. Sure. <laughs> but so are you talking like, is it, you know, is it like one of those things? Oh, so you went from 63rd to second. I mean, you must've had awards, training, like Barry, we, we need, we got 64 more to do or, or 61 more for you to do. Because number one doesn't need to be touched. But did you make some kind of training, a manual from that? What came out of that? I mean, do you remember or is it something? Well, one of the things, one of the things about getting into an organization where they have like a lot of, a lot of red tape, a lot of process and a lot of steps is um, you got to be familiar with the processes, right? And then, you know, unfortunately, and this is not something that a safety guy says a lot of, but sometimes to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. So uh, <laughs> being that I knew how to navigate the, uh, navigate the capital cases and, and whatnot. And I knew what I could and could get yeah. and could not get away with. There may have been a few things that slipped through as normal expense that should have been capital. You know what I mean? But, um, but when it came to the quality of life, man, we had a plant full of people that hated life because everything was always broken. Like you know, nobody right. likes to come to work knowing that they're dead last. But what, so what was the ranking? Like did it was a thing the company posted you are 63 feel really good about your work <laughs> no not so much like that but like yeah so in maintenance there's there's really two overarching um thoughts right or two overarching methods of maintenance and that's really making it simple one is called condition-based maintenance where we're talking about we fix it when the wheels fall off right so, so we only pay yeah. attention when the condition is so poor we can't we can't move forward and then the other one is reliability-centered maintenance, right? So reli reliability-centered maintenance, you kind of touched on it a little earlier. We put in sensors, we add this, we add that. So kind of steps into the world of what we call process safety. But reliability-centered maintenance makes sure the machine doesn't break down. So that's where I got involved with the right. plant where I got in with thermography. So we'd bring out guys with thermal cameras, and they would take pictures of critical equipment and we would monitor those pieces of equipment on a weekly or monthly basis, depending on, depending on yeah. the wear trend. Right. So if we saw in the piece of equipment that, you know, the rotor on the compressor inside the electric motor was starting to get a little hotter than it normally is. Okay. It's time for a teardown. So on the yeah. weekend we'd rip this thing down, we'd replace the bearings and add some grease. Right. Um, meanwhile, we use vibration analysis as well, which is kind of its own beast. Um, you have to learn the characteristics of your machine. So it has to sit and be monitored constantly for a few months. And then after that, you can come and do periodic checks. And if you're seeing any differences in the waveform, then you know it's time to service the machine. That's incredible, though, because literally I remember the maintenance guy. So because the plant we had in Qatar and it was going through the budgets of, you know, the OPEX. But that OPEX on the repair, the maintenance side also includes some CAPEX because you got to replace some of that equipment. But it was a very much, I, I didn't, you've said it here with these two, you know, the reliability and the, the conditions based, but he literally was, he was trying to explain and, and, you know, the, how do you predict 
five, six, seven, you know, different machinery. It's very complex. Actually, no, you use the perfect word. I said reliability centered maintenance, which is a very, very widely in, um, like understood and, and, you know, famous term or not famous, but like widely used term in the industry, but it's interchangeable with predictive yeah. maintenance. That's the exact, you know, I mean, you could say that and people okay. would know exactly what you're saying. And that's, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, you get, you get to the point where, um, you know, I am so sick of losing you know, somebody comes to you, I need that machine back up. I'm losing a hundred thousand bucks an hour. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you and everybody right. else, man, right. <laughs> you know, like get in line because nobody wants to maintain their anything. Um, I, I actually got in and I had the good, uh, the good fortune to actually do a walkthrough and you know, who has like an outstanding downtime tracking and maintenance system. Canada, Canada, Canada post. They are militant about maintaining their equipment. And like militant to the point wow. of like, it almost seems like you could receive disciplinary action for refusing, uh, for refusing maintenance access to your machine. So I was, I was very impressed. Cause that's incredible. Cause I remember, so I'm going to ask you this, and we'll get to that, the technology side, because I remember listening to a podcast and the guy said, you know, we, we did a test five years ago about data management, data tracking for, for me. And it was in the middle East, uh, middle East, it was in Europe and the windmills. He said, so we tested, you know, this group, they had no data on there. We just knew they didn't, and we had data. So they compared the two. The, the other one had, the windmill had data for repairs and maintenance, so predictability. And he said, we predicted within hours of when it was going to go down. We, we put it down. We repaired it up and running very quickly. The other guy who wasn't sure, guy or whoever, you know, the other windmill, he's just like, they spent way, they lost, so because the electricity, right? You need the grid and whatever you're doing. And it was huge. The impact on profit and revenues and all that, was huge in over five years. It was a data. They used the data to predict. Well, the math actually says for every $1 you spend in maintenance, I'm saving you three in breakdowns. So, so when you like, as with your accounting background, when you look into one to three, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty significant ratio. So if I can keep $3 of revenue in my pocket, I definitely want to do that. But the thing about it is if you're not maintaining things, you can say, well, I don't have to spend that money in the first place. I don't know what I would, what I would say because I've never experienced the savings. So it's, it's tough. A lot of people feel like they're trading a bird in a hand for one in the bush, but, but that's not the case. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a lot different in health, you know, your health or so the machine, the car is always a good one. If you don't do the maintenance on the car, it'll break down and then the, see, the engine will seize. Then you got to replace the engine versus you know, whatever it is, you're not going to get three, 400,000 kilometers on a vehicle if you don't do the routine maintenance to get to that point when, you know, you can get the life. I mean, I'm just giving a quick example, but the taxis in Dubai, they would put 500 to 600,000 kilometers on them. And literally most of the taxis you get in their Toyota or whatever. And it's just like, you don't do that mileage without having. Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they're, I mean, it's crazy when you look at what, I mean, just think about the maintenance you have to do your car, right? Every 8,000 kilometers, you want to yeah. bring it in. And believe it or not, a car is a really complex piece of equipment with electric over hydraulic over you name it. There's dozens of different safety systems sure. in there. And not only that, but a lot of them are made to only kick in when it's broken. You know what I mean? Like an airbag. It has to work, yeah. right? So, yeah. so there's a lot of different technology in a car, right? And then you take that and then you like add it to something that's got 5,000 different operating systems, 250,000 different kinds of, of like materials and equipment and, you know, a thousand sensors. And then you've got PLCs and ladder logic and process to operate. It's amazing that we don't blow up on day one, you know? So 
You know, it's uh, interesting. There's something you said earlier about the, um, mm-hmm. the vibration. So one of my podcasts was with a sensor company. I, I, the name is going to slip me right now, but it's the more to the point. He, he was looking on a solution on sensors and he went to a, a trade show out in, in, I think, Minnesota, Minneapolis. And one of the, he started talking to one of the food processors where they, they have mm-hmm. conveyor belts and they were getting food, food contaminants. They didn't know why. They put some sensors on it and turned out the vibration of the the conveyor belt caused the shavings from the, the metal shavings to fall into the food, which contaminated the food. So the sensors are used. You know, it was incredible to to assess, to assess that vibration, which can help. It. I mean, it was incredible. I just. I yeah, actually, you know what? Um, so we uh, we like we did like a I mean, I mentioned that I was in the plant and we had really risen through the ranks. Um, and one of the things that that uh, the, the blue chipper that I used to work for uh, was really good at was exposure. So if if you were looking promising, they would expose you to as much as they could. So they put me on a plane, sent me off right. to L.A. And I spent I spent a week in L.A., yeah. um, you know, and I, I was going through their bread plant and the bread plant was amazing. And one of the things that we saw was the reject line or sorry, the the produce line. But for the very same reason all of the buns and bread would ride over a conveyor and they would get hit with a metal detector on the way through. And if the metal detector detected anything is minute, like, I mean, just think like a grind or a grain of sand kind of sized. Yeah. Um, it would reject that loaf. It would kick in a, like a 120 PSI air nozzle and blow it right off the line into the garbage. Right. Wow. So, but I mean, they don't wow. food like mass food production, they take really seriously. And I was I, like, after spending yeah. four or five years in food, I was really impressed with the steps that the quality professionals take to protect people. No, it's, it's, I mean, some of these, some of these places are just incredible. And, and I guess robotics replaces some of that, but let, let's, let's switch gears, go back to the tech side. And I, I mean, there's probably many elements and you said it right off the bat. We have a model, a platform we take, we help you savings, but so there's your, your kind of platform, but is there tech that helps you is there some of that data capture that you're using? I know. I'm no, that's great. Um, you know, one of the one of the reasons why I, I left maintenance and I went into safety and that was a calculated decision by me. Right. I didn't do that with the intent of like disappearing and, and whatever. I didn't like jump and parachute away feeling like I got lucky. It was a very significant choice. And it took me about three to four years to fully make the transition because I first dabbled and, you know, did right. my feet in because I, um, I was, I was curious, what's the safety thing all about, right? Why is there careers, right? They say it's an emerging career. It's one of the only new careers in hundreds of years, right? So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> so as we get into it and we dig in and we start looking into it, what I found was that, you know, safety is about people, right? And, and you know, um, you really can't capture the, the essence of safety if you don't understand what, what people value. And um, ultimately, yeah. like I talk to me when I'm if I'm going to talk to a guy like me, I'm going to talk to him about family and being around to raise your own kids. And you know what? Safety is not just about like it's a health and safety system. What does that mean? It means as a company, we're invested in your health and safety. Because if you go home and you're happy yeah. and you come to work and you're still happy, chances are we're going to get more work out of you, which is exactly what we want to do. Your productivity is going to be up. Number two, you're healthy. You have a healthy lifestyle. You're not out like drinking and partying until six in the morning. And then you show up fall down drunk at the, like on the work site. That's not great. If you're going home, you're hitting the gym and you're coming to work the next day, like with a great lunch and you're well rested, that works really well for me. So, you know, that's awesome, but you, that's not the employee you get every day. 
But that's interesting, though. I mean, you hit that because if that person is, let's just say, depression or whatever it is, that carries into the workplace. That that becomes a major health uh, safety mm-hmm. issue. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you what. While we're talking about stories and stuff like that, um, I'll keep it very vanilla because it was it was it was pretty gritty. <laughs> but you know, I, I showed up on site one day, yeah. and uh, and I, and like my job was to go out. I was a grunt. You know, go out safety guy get in the field walk around get to know the guys make sure that people know you make sure that people know the processes um one of the things that i learned is you get a lot more like a lot more bees with honey kind of thing so um so i'd always show up with a question but one of the jobs i had to do was to go in and basically stand in the morning meetings with each and every um frontline leader that we had so um and and listen right. to them address their crew and you know, give them some feedback on how they did or chip in and help if I needed to. And uh, I showed up one day and uh, this young gent, you know, uh, and fine guy, great worker, just shows up and he just starts, he walks away from the, we call him a toolbox talk. You may have heard him called toolbox talks or tailgate meetings. He just walked away. And uh, then, you know, so I kind of, you know, watched him for a bit just to make sure things are okay. And then the next thing I know, he's leaning on a post, like a scaffold tube. A vertical and he's got his head resting on it and he's just sitting there shaking his head and i thought i've never had a guy show up to work on meth before i've never had this happen wow. before so i walked over i'll tell you what i can be like i could be pretty abrasive back in the day right um but i, I kind of gut checked and said hey how you doing what's going on and uh it turns out that the guy had had lost two children the day before and he and he was on autopilot wow. right like wow. what do you do when you're in such a state of flux where everything is upside down, you, you try to find that routine again. And, and his routine was get up, go to work. Right. And, but he was by no means safe to work. He he wasn't inebriated, but he was so, he was in anguish. Uh, So like, you know, we got him to his foreman. We escorted him in to HR and we got him connected with our family or employee family assistance program, EFAP. And, and we got him into some care yep. right away because like, what do you do? I mean, that's, that's horrific. And, and nobody should have to go through that without support. But that's, you know, the hats off to you. And, and I think, you know, it just reminded me, it's kind of that safety back in our, you know, back on the, you know, the bus loads of the workers would come into the factory and they always had a safety meeting. They always had a safety, safety briefing. And I think that's, you could probably identify very quickly just something, whether it's an alcohol, drugs, or or a someone who's just not there. I mean, that's 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 kind of an interesting. Oh yeah, well, you're welcome. You're welcome. That. I mean, it, it's ultimately safety is no good if it doesn't make it out into the field, right? Um, they they have a model. Yeah. Um, it's called the internal responsibility model, and now we're now we're getting into like safety theory, but um, the internal responsibility model says that the president of the company or the CEO is responsible for safety, but he drives that down. Right. So you've got responsibility and accountability. So he's responsible to ensure that there's safety in the company and the accountability goes back up to him. Yeah. So it goes all the way down. He drives it down through the ranks and the accountability comes back up through the other way. So um, so it really drives that everybody is responsible for safety. So, you know, you've everybody's got three rights, right? The right to refuse unsafe work, the right to participate, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and that's right. Th- that's kind of what it comes down to is we're highlighting the fact that everybody has a responsibility for safety. You know, if I think of the accidents and I, this discussion, 
you know, most of the construction sites in the Middle East and because that's my experience with, with construction. I didn't really I kind of didn't really pay attention to it before. But there was always that sign, you know, thousand hours, millions of hours of accident free mm-hmm. or whatever downtime. Is that I mean, how do you you know, it was sort of they're reporting that it was very up there for big companies. Those numbers are very important. But for small companies, one incident is going to maybe I think you and I talked this a little bit about WCB. That is going to affect for small company your claims, your risk is going to go up high. Versus a big company, you can absorb one out of thirty thousand. You bet. Actually, that's that's a great point. So, um, are you ready? Are you ready for some straight talk? Can we do some straight talk here? Right. Is that I is this where ready. is this the we're part listening. of the show where we can get into it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I always thought we were. Uh, no that's cool that's cool we'll we'll, we'll go to the the actual green stuff and that's money right um so when we talk about money it's kind of interesting right but ultimately safety is part of a larger umbrella that's called loss control right and loss control is about controlling the loss or eliminating the loss of everything that costs a company money so ultimately the bottom line is what drives programs so safety generally took the place which came around when roundabout when i mean i think they killed like hundreds of people or 800 people during the Hoover Dam when they were building that, right? And they thought, and, and they considered that a success. We only killed 100 people. Can you imagine? <laughs> right? So, yeah. so safety is now, it, it became like, we're going to penalize you if you take a provider away from a family. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're going to cost you money. We're going to, if you yeah. maim people, whatever. And then as, as society has grown and outrage has become more significant from people not being able to maintain or continue a career, workers' compensation becomes involved where a worker, there's some, something called no-fault insurance, which really helps out workers. However, oftentimes it's leveraged by people that are a little less than honest. And they, they commit what's called WCB, yeah. WCB fraud. Uh, they can stay home getting like, you know, close to tip top wages uh, as long as they can manufacture an excuse or look like they still they're they're still injured. Right now, I'm not saying this is the normal case, but it's not abnormal either. Um, well, that speaks into, you know, you get into welfare fraud and insurance fraud. I mean, that, that that's just that there's a level of society or people, you know, the morals. Are, but. The typical time, the incentive in terms of a company not reporting claims. For right, that. right, uh, yeah, and and the opposite end of that would be if a company's telling you, "I don't want you, I don't want you to report this," because it'll drive our thing up. Then that's a yeah. different kind of fraud, right? You're defrauding, you're criminalizing yourself in the other direction. Yeah. So that you know, there's for the company and against the company, I guess you could, so to speak, right? Um, and you know, it, sometimes. I mean, it really sucks, but I mean, if you're 19 years old, you just started a construction job and you hurt your back trying to show off, right, about how much work you can do. And somebody says, oh, no, just go ahead and stay home and play <laughs> Xbox until you're better. Well, what kind yeah. of a, what, what, yeah. is a, what is an individual learn at 18 years old? You're not like we can send the message all we want that says, come back to work. We have modified work for you. You don't have to stay home. And he's hearing, why would I want to come to work when I'm in pain? <laughs> Yeah, that's a different kind of incentive. I, I, I guess I was just thinking of reporting. And say, I get you. You know, I hear that. That's that's a reality of just people, whatever. I mean, where, wherever that speaks to. And, and you, you said you migrated from from being on the uh, in the line to a management. You, you've seen mm. both sides. You've seen both sides. But so let's let's switch gears because I, you know, we could probably talk examples all day um, on some of that kind of. Oh, one thing I did want to say because you know, one thing I noticed just driving up Bow Trail here in Calgary. 
I know you're not. You're in Edmonton, so I just want to tell <laughs> the, the people that Sorry, don't hold it against me, man. But <laughs> this is the Calgary Business Podcast. No, but I mean, come on, Calgary's. You know, this Alberta is a real oil town. The work you do is prevent it, it touches everywhere. But anyway, so this is you're driving, and there's a there's a construction zone, and it says our dad works here too. And it's like literally that it was a safety thing. These guys were in a yellow, but it's a mm-hmm. great it's a great imagery, right? Is you you said it earlier. You're still coming home. There's still there's a family provider or whatever. But that was oh yeah. Our so those massive too. general contractors, like the big guys, like the Kiwits of the world, the PCLs of the world, they're really big and they're really passionate about delivering that message, right? And 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 yeah, I'm I'm almost a fan, but I'm almost not. And understand that sometimes I can be a little mechanical when it comes to you know numbers. Well, what are our numbers? Okay, well if we get these numbers up sure. by nature, they'll drive those numbers down, right? So, so I don't often think right. about the heartstrings. I think about, let's talk about resource, but um, there's a significant portion of safety that's tied into heartstrings. And I kind of alluded to that a little earlier when I said people, it's about people, right? Hey, I want to go home to see my kids. Right. You want to go home and ride your Harley, right? Um, or, or whatever it is, whatever you're passionate about. I don't, I, I don't have that's a okay. pony. You know what's under a pony's that. tail? <laughs> no, I, i'll just leave what, it at that what is <laughs> but uh but anyway uh but honest to goodness though we get into we get into what what people are passionate about and if you're driving through an intersection or if you're driving down the road and remember driving is like in the top five most dangerous things that people do every day um so much so that they become complacent yeah. about it and and start checking their phone like that whole police um the whole police campaign on crotches kill, right? Because people hide their phones in their laps, look down to check them, and then run into the person in front of them. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a, there was a, we lived in Moscow many years ago, and there was a woman was SMS texting, but it was a very high profile because she was, it was a city official or a government official's wife or whatever, and she, you know, a Range Rover and was texting, veered off, and, and oh my gosh, people, ouch, you know, yeah, that was about. It's about 10 years ago. Yeah, well, no, it sucks. Um, But I mean, a lot of that is, uh, so sorry, let's get back to your question just a little bit ago. So if you wouldn't mind reposing it so that I don't drag us down a rat hole. (laughs) Oh, no, it wasn't a question. That was an observation about the Yeah, uh, that's fine. But let's move on. So how, let's let's talk about some of your key services. Maybe you can share that because your website is is just, I mean, the bastion of information. So I love that. You know, walk us through some of your key services, any health and safety, and, and I think training. Is well, number one, you, you know, um, we meet you where you are. So um, to say that the same safety system meets everybody's needs is not true, right? If you if your base is uh, building houses, or if you're a general contractor who brings in, you know, earthworks, and you yeah. bring in equipment operators and overhead cranes, and or sorry, or mobile cranes and, and whatever, um, we can't purport to say we know what you do unless we spend some time with you, right? Um, so we meet you where you are. We talk to you, uh, we get a good feel about what you do. We'll visit your site. Um, I mean, we work on partnership and relationship, right? So if you're working with Bastion, uh, it's not going to be uncommon to see us except for right now because you know, COVID, but, um, so that's number one. Number two is, uh, we provide core services. So if you don't have a certificate of recognition, you're, you're taking it on the chin, uh, when it comes to paying your WCB rates, right? So your WC your WCB rates are calculated right. at 100 or uh, at uh, at a rate of X per every $100 of payroll, right? 
so it'll flex with you know your it'll flex with your staffing right when you with your booms and your busts but at the same time it's still quite pricey now you can you can get uh up to a 200 percent surcharge on on your rate rider or you can get up to a 40 percent discount and that's where we really come in and we can really start working with you that's what the certification you yeah so if you get your core uh in your first year you're guaranteed they'll give you 10 percent off your wcb rates so you know the next time you get your wcb bill it'll be 10 percent less because just because you got a core right and that doesn't matter if, if you're in a position where you're working and you've accumulated a bunch of extra costs because you're in surcharge because you've injured people um they'll give you that 10 percent discount because you got your core uh your second year that but then that puts it that backs it on to you in terms of your credit your credentials your you know they certify you as well because if you're going to give that out they want to make sure that that's the stamp the so to speak i mean um you can get your core generated yeah. by just about anybody. There's some pretty specific advantages to Bastion, you know, in such that we have a software that we partner with our own core manual that we that we develop custom for your company. Yep. So our software partners with it and then we'll automate all of your safety exercises so that they show up in your people's. Um, yeah. I mean, you've heard of lean manufacturing. Well, I had a lot of time spent in lean. Uh, yep. We do lean safety where we don't give anything to an employee that they don't need until they need it. And when the employees are filling stuff out, sure. they won't find stuff through our software on their mobile device unless they need it. And they know they need it because they look at it and says, are you doing X today? Yeah, they poke the box. It opens the section. Right. So we, we kind of make it um, we make it accessible to anybody. Uh, and not only that, but we build in a hierarchy to it. So if you've got people or approvers within your organization, we'll build it in so that form shows up at the appropriate individual at the right time when it's submitted. If somebody indicates something's broken, damaged, or needs yeah. to be addressed, somebody will get an automatic notification through the software or through their own email based on what's going on. So we do really well with designing and getting companies a certificate of recognition. And then we also... Uh, we specialize in maintaining that at at a very low cost. So I mean, so does your does your okay, so if I get a push notification, I'm an employee, I just go through the motions. Is there some preventative thing in there, or predictive, where it says you actually got to scroll down and you got to read it? it you know where it, it, there's some milestones in there that it, it prevents people from just oh absolutely scrolling through yeah. and clicking the box. Um, and, and that's that's part of the reason why we say it's it, we we make it impossible to submit a form unless you check the right boxes. So somebody's going through and they say we're working at heights today, they can't yeah. close off their hazard assessment until they've done the necessary things to close it. And the software will guide them will guide them through it. They say I'm working at heights, right. it opens a section that says, okay, what's your fall protection plan? Okay. So then they enter. Nice. So you really put the tape. Yeah, this is I mean, I, this is fascinating. I, it, it sounds like but this sounds like you've got a course, you've done training on this thing. And you're like, this is incredible, Gary. It's like iterative training, like right in, right on, right, right on the, in their hand, their palm of their hand before they go on. The, well, you know what? I'm not kidding you. Uh, I, can, I, I can and I have embedded videos in somebody's electronic field level hazard assessment. So if they forget how to do their hazard ranking, the video is bang right in there. They hit it and then their phone yeah. just plays a video for them on how to do a, a hazard, a hazard or a risk Brilliant. assessment all on their own. It's, it's really that simple. I mean, the sky's the limit when it comes to software because all it is is programming, right? So um, me being lucky, right? I was born right at the cusp between millennials and Gen Xers, right? So I read somewhere that somebody was calling us Xennials and I, I just disregarded that. I'll, I'll take my 
I'll take my lumps as a, as a Gen Xer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, you know, I think we talked about it before. I was playing yeah. skate or die on my 386, and then I was going out to the skate park or going out to, like, you know, the bike park or the school and trying to do the same things that were being done on the computer because my computer was a piece of junk and going outside was still a thing. So... <laughs> No, but that's, I mean, that visual helps, you know, that, and, it, and there's, there's software out there today, you know, they, they use VR and AR for that virtual where they put, I mean, I, the, the, there's a company called Labster, and it was out, I think, in Denmark or Norway or something like that, and they literally, you know, they'll, they'll allow you to mix hazardous chemicals, H2L or whatever, which, and literally in, in virtual reality, and that really speaks to me when I, when I would watch that, not because I'm a scientist or anything, but because I was living in the Middle East, where they were dealing the, the polysilicon plant, those chemicals, they, a spill gets onto the car, it, it melds into the glass. And they showed it. There's no way you wipe it off. It's part of the glass. This, it's not HCL, Okay, no, but it was yeah, no, that, that's, really that's pretty amazing, actually. Um, recently, we had a company reach out to us because they are doing uh, VR safety and they wanted to see if, if we would get in and help with some development. Um, you know, when you think about the practical applications of, yeah. of VR, it's, it's nuts. Like, Think about doing a rigging course in VR. So you, you got to go out and rig up, you know, yeah. a very like a 10 point or five point pick with a spreader bar and, you know, so many X number of slings and you got to use bridle hitches or whatever. You can go in and you can actually hook this thing up exactly how somebody's telling you to. <laughs> Think about the implications when it comes to doing a job interview. All of a sudden you can do practical application. Hey, awesome. we've got something for you to rig in VR. Just show up at this address. They've got a VR set up. And do your interview there, and then uh, you know that's your practical. No, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, it's so the one thing I did see in Sate here up at Sate. The one I was up there last year, I, I had uh, the head of academics, and we were just talking to. But on my way out, I just literally looked up, and there was a drilling rig right on. You know, so that that this real practical. That was the next level, right? They had a drilling rig for. For, for for training people but yours well yeah i mean next, the, next the and I that's the that. thing about it is you often see is there's a trade there's an upfront cost for long-term savings right i mean there is no need to to maintain a vr yeah. environment right um there's you're not going to lose anything inside of vr where where'd my shackles go or i got to send them out to get inspected because every year we got to do it like a, a a mag <laughs> particle inspection or a non-destructive test inspection on our on our lifting equipment right well, there's no cost to it anymore. I mean, you're literally, it's really interesting, but all the technology is really generating an entirely new economy. Well, it's incredible. I mean, you, but the, the training embeds in your head, the visual, the narrative, and you sit back to your skateboard park or you take basketball players, they're, they're trying things today, or hockey players, you know, they're, they're trying shots today because of the video imagery. They're, they're not doing it because they practice in the in the... And then they came, you know, from the, in the in the courtyard, and then they, they went out into the real life. They mm -hmm. saw the video and they practiced. So the video image, yeah, for really sure, yeah. Just, and right here, you just hit head. on the different kinds of learners, right? There's there's visual learners, there's auditory learners, and then there's kinesthetics, the people that like to do it, and then there's people that are a mix of all three. And I mean, that's one of the challenges of safety, right? Because safety is fairly broad. Yeah. Um, you know, you can specialize in it, but you know, one of the challenges of safety is getting somebody into a position where they can learn because not everybody learns sitting down in a chair with 50 other people in a room, right? So, so it, right. it's, it's right. really a great way to teach. 
but you are an instructor, right? I was looking at your profile. You, like yeah, yeah. I, I actually work with the ECAA, so the Electrical Contractors Association of Alberta, and I teach their safety principles program. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if you guys are involved, like, but the Electrical Contractors Association of Canada or Alberta, there's also another one called the Mechanical uh, Contractors Association, the MCA. They're out of Calgary. I do a fair bit of work in Calgary, by the way, uh, just, just so you know. <laughs> Just so we put that Calgary. Oh, for yeah, sure. I know you're just trying to plug yeah. the Calgary angle. You know. Yeah, but I mean, if you were to like, here, if you were to contact the ECA, the Electrical Contractors Association, or the MCA, you'd get either Christine or Lisa. They're great. They'll look right after you. And there are some pretty significant benefits yeah. as a contractor to getting in with either of these associations, including like major savings on permits in, sure. in all across the province. It's pretty amazing. But anyway, yeah, I do I do a fair bit of work for uh for them. I teach between four and eight times a year, depending on how busy it is, um, their safety principles program. And it's, uh, it's a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting setup that they have in, in that, you know, you have people that are competitors outside of the association, but when they come in, uh, it's very uh, supportive. Yeah. Yeah. We well, you know there's something you want, you talked about WCB a lot and I think of it, I always mm-hmm. think the other side is the, the insurance claims. So if there is a claim, I'm thinking insurance, the and, and, and risk rating, you know, I I just you know, I come from the oil and gas side where there was the 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 business interruption. There's a OEE or you know uh, the where ejection if there's an explosion on the well and you got to put the well back. So uh, do you get into involved in that in terms of your you've talked about WCB. But it would also seem that certification and this whole verification that would also. Play well, you remember earlier we talked about um, we talked about an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? And when you're when you're getting into things where you're talking yes. about you know making sure this doesn't blow up and that and something else, that's part of something called process safety, which is a part of safety definitely, but that that actually falls more towards an in and under an engineering umbrella where we would consult with engineers who already know what the, you know, what the explosive forces could be here or there and oh, okay. what we need to do, how many blast walls, how thick should yeah. they be, that kind of thing. And, and then even when it comes to um, <clears throat> design. Um, so for example, uh, it's not quite the same as being on lease and dealing with capping a well or anything like that. But I mean, I've had lots of instances where we come into a warehouse and I meet with like very, like Zurich, right? They're international. They come in and they're like, okay, hey, you know what? Uh, your warehouse yeah. is uh, not quite up to what we would like to see. So your, your expenses are going to be a little higher. However, if you bring in a sprinkler contractor and reduce your sprinkler head distribution by so many square feet, per sprinkler, then we can add uh, a, a significant savings to your thing because you'll have more fire coverage. It's incredible. But so that guy himself, he's a technical expert. He's not some just an insurance guy driving a car and here's the policy. It's, well, you know, it, it almost speaks to having the right people for the right thing, right? So if, if we're getting an engineering company to design a warehouse or design a, to design a common space, because a lot of people, when we start out, we don't know what kind of space we need. We just want a building or releasing a building. And then we're going to do TIs ourselves, tenant improvements, right? And then we get into it. And then once you're into it, you're like, oh my gosh, all yeah. these changes. I don't want to make these changes. So where do you pay for it? Somebody always pays for it somewhere. It comes out in your insurance, right? So it's, uh, it's an interesting quandary to be in, to have everything you need and then go, what do you mean you want me to drop in a bunch of extra sprinkler heads? That's, I have to move everything in the warehouse for that. No, I guess. <laughs> well, the clashes, that's, 
in the constructions they called that the clashes and then you know mm -hmm. but but i mean all of this i mean we, that, yeah. like we've wow. we've covered a lot of ground in this conversation yeah. but all of it is some way applicable to safety it's some way applying to your bottom line right and we haven't even touched on like construction safety traumatic injury versus like you know versus um occupational illness like we haven't even touched on what i do <laughs> you know what i mean so like there's there's <laughs> well we've we've glanced Wait, across we it, haven't but uh, <laughs> there's your well there's your iceberg right that's the iceberg yeah. we we get we touch 20 percent of the things you do <laughs> the other 80 percent maybe right um <laughs> back, back, <laughs> safety with barry episode 45 no but i mean you could run no barry i i, I say this in, in sincerity that in terms of your own running your own podcast and talking safety let's episode 101 you know what i'm saying like it's safety 101 and you go into all these areas i i think you and oh, i well talk thank you i appreciate that uh, you know I, really I, I know some guys like i've had people refer to me as as an expert right and uh and, and i was very flattered uh but i know who i consider an expert right so like everybody has their go-to people and um and i'm i'm I don't know, maybe it's humility, maybe it's whatever it is. I guess about it, if you talk about yourself being humble, that's not really a thing, is it? So never mind. But <laughs> but if you bring in your expert, okay, so fair enough. You you don't you can't touch the, the iceberg, right? But underneath you bring in the people to talk in your in the field. The guys that that Zurich guy, he's a field, he's an expert in that thing, whatever sprinklers. You you worked electrical contractors association of you know, I mean, there's there's experts all over. I think you've got a, a good year supply of podcasts for Barry. For the Bastion. <laughs> well, we still kind of hang our hats on the Bastion of Safety because it seems to be the the branding that ran really well. But uh, yeah. Well, there's your podcast, right? The, the Brits in the Middle East, they don't pronounce the P. So they would call it podcast. So it's Barry's podcast uh, or, you know, Bastion. But they literally, there's really? t-shirts that say Bebsi. They don't. They that's, don't. That's amazing. You know what? I've always been. Oh, yeah, I've right. always been kind of actually, really interested in in yeah. your Middle Eastern experience because I, I don't know very many people that have done so much work overseas. So that's cool. Well, that's why the Barry's podcast <laughs> awesome. would work. <laughs> or the Bastion podcast, it would work for me. But other people's like, why is that guy? Doesn't he know how to spell? But look, I detract. Let's. I want. There's a couple of questions I want to ask you about because there's HSC. But I saw you've got RSE and that's OHSE. funny. Okay, Maybe so um, so ba basically RSE, it, it became a thing. Red Seal Electrician, right? So what happened was people got jealous not having letters behind their names, so people started throwing things behind it. So um, a lot of the guys that I know in the industry are throwing RSE behind their uh, behind their initials, Red Seal Electrician. So that's that's kind of where I started, right? And then. Wait, so it's just, it has nothing, that's that's not a health, I thought it was a safety, the R uh, Red Seal Electrician. So, R, so it's, what's it called? So, the, so that's an RSE. The next one, the OHSC, okay. is Occupational Health and Safety Certification. So that's through, so that's through the... Um, okay, that I got, yeah, I understood that. That's one. through the University of Alberta. There's also a program that is uh, through the oh, University okay. of New Brunswick that a lot of people choose to do. Uh, I did the U of A one because I wanted to show up in person and do my training, right? Uh, 
Oh, so yeah, be, for sure. And and also to a lot of safety is networking. So you got to force yourself out of your comfort zone and and learn to network with the guys in the field, right? Because if you can't show up and speak to them in a positive manner that they can understand and want to want to hear from you, right? Because a lot of guys are like, oh, safety guy showed up, everybody pull out your cigarettes. <laughs> like, oh, great. No, guys, that's that's not what you do when I show up, right? <laughs> like, but um, like you know, or nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. You oh, you want to be involved. Tell me why. Tell me why you do things like that, because I've never seen this done before and I want to understand it. And then some people will tell you what they think yeah. and other people will be more than happy. And many of them will be most to introduce you to why they do things the way they do. And uh, and it's it's a great learning opportunity. I know more about stuff now than I ever did because I just took the position of a learner. Well, you know, to the point of what do they do when you're not there, right? It's kind of like that. I mean, it's kind of like there's a tree fall in the forest. Who hears it? It's like that, the, the, the nanny cam. You know, that's just a, that level. That's back to the point of WCP fraud. If you have to put a camera in there and see what yeah. you're doing when the safety guy's not around, that's just. Well, you know, there's know. a guy I mean, in safety. I guess people do and that. we talk but... about experts, right? And this guy's name is Dave Fennell. And he's like, he was one of my instructors at the University of Alberta. The man's name around these parts is like synonymous with expert. And he he has kind of like, he heard about a, a, like a, yeah. a, a gambit or a portion of safety that was called behavior-based observation. And he is the biggest proponent of, of behavior-based observation I've ever seen. He's an expert in it. He, he understands and he wants, seeks to yeah. understand people's behavior and why they do what they do. And that behavior-based safety, it, it, there's, a, there's a heavy psychological component in it where it's understanding what people do. It involves like watching people till they don't remember that you're there and then you get to see what they actually do. And it's not like creepy watching. It's not like you set up with a, with, with a pair of binoculars. It's like you show up, introduce yourself, tell them what you're doing. We're going to watch what you're doing so that we can understand how we can do things better. And if we yeah. see anything that needs to change, we'll let you know. And then you watch them for half an hour. And then when you're done, you have a debrief. And, uh, and it's really unobtrusive with some pretty seriously high success rates um, in terms of changing a company culture. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really want to believe it. I think that's important. That's an important aspect. But it's probably when, when they don't know they're being observed, that's the best. That really tells the tale. And I, don't, I guess if there's an incident or, you, you know, you observe the rag sitting there when it shouldn't have been the, the oily rag or mm -hmm. whatever. Then you know they're really not observing things, but but let's let, let's switch gears a little bit. So COVID COVID's brought a new element of safety for I guess in the home life, but in the work life, has there is there is there anything you could share? Uh, well, well Bastion has a pretty significant Bastion? focus on taking your hands off what other people already touch anyway. So because we do so much electronic stuff, uh, Bastion, and and I mean as we can tell from our conversation today, I don't just like dabble like I, I have a full-blown safety um, arm of, of Bastion but I also have a software arm inside of Bastion where I use like a, a very successful engine and we take everything that you could possibly do within your business and we add logic to it and we can create things within the engine to promote other portions of your business as well right so like so we're like we're SMEs in in a lot right. of safety subjects, but we're also an SME in a software, and then we're pretty knowledgeable of industry as well, just because of our experience, right? So so when we get into the software, you want to be COVID safe? Sure. sure. You want something signed off? You need ten people signed onto a form? No problem. We can handle that. Just submit it. It'll go through the chain. Done. 
right? Nobody touches anything anybody already touched. Um, you want to submit a PO. It does, like typically what happens is you need some, you need to buy some, you put in a request, right? So you have a purchase request. So we follow that whole Sarbanes-Oxley sort of purchase to receive it. But that's a virtual. Sure. That's so so let's let's see. So overhead cranes, right? Because I got some familiarity with overhead cranes. You got a guy. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's on top of an overhead crane, and he and he needs a part. So he's got a phone from God knows where, and he probably has no cell reception. So what's he gonna do? Well, he opens the form that he downloaded before he got out of cell reception, or he takes a picture of it in his phone, right? And then he just uploads yep. that to the form when he gets back to cell reception. Here's a picture of the part. Here's a picture of the part number. And uh, call me if you need anything else, right? And it's all stored directly in the software. Well, it works. Yeah. And, and well, then you got a digital. Not only that, but at the end of the form, you can initiate something record. that says, "I want to be. I want somebody to touch base with me on this to ensure that it's being looked after." So you tap the button, assign it to whoever you want, and then it shows up in their queue to call you directly and ensure that you get the right things done. So. Nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's great. It's great. I mean, one of the, um, one of the best things that I ever learned was, was from a guy. So I don't know. Have you ever heard the term like flawless leadership? That's good because I, I just I made that up. But, uh, <laughs> but, it, it <laughs> but anyway, I, 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 like I said, I, I got the opportunity to start to to study or learn under some some of the greatest minds in um in my career, right? And this one gent was like he had such a mind for organization yeah. and communication. Um, if he went out and stood stood up in front of a room, I can't say that when he left, everybody liked him, but everybody respected him. Um, he believed in this thing called two-way communication. He even sure. added to it with something he called three-way communication, which made a lot of sense. Uh, but two-way communication is a method of imparting knowledge and then having somebody repeat that knowledge back to you in like format, like in their own words, and then having an agreement on terms like, yeah, that was proper when we're done. And he promoted this to tradespeople from entry level through high level. And, and you know, like, I believe in nice. that when it comes nice. to, I mean, I, I actually adopted that and it's one of our mantras today is we always say, Hey, two-way communication. And if you can do it, make it three-way because that way we ensure that everybody's got an understanding. Have I imparted the, the correct message? No, let's fix it. Right. Do you but you know, it's, it's interesting. You say that, Did, are they understanding what you said? Because I lived in an environment in the middle East and in Russia and Kazakhstan when the language so I would say, Barry, you understood that they, because it would obviously be, and you knew this, you learned this after a while. They would just say yes, uh, but they don't speak enough English or they didn't understand the word. But because of pride, yeah, yeah, pride, you know, and I operate uh, very similarly. No, I had um, cultural barriers where I had guys that were working for me when I was in the field managing maintenance, and um, and, and I had guys that were very humble and and very 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 good at what they did, but. I couldn't, I, I rely on pushback, yeah. right? Like I rely on you to tell me, yes, this will work. No, this won't work, right? So if I tell you, can you do this? Or if I That's ask, right. can you do this? Um, I need you to say, yeah, uh, yeah, I can. Or no, it's not a reasonable time frame, right? But uh, I mean, cultural barriers, some guys were just told or raised not to say no to their boss. And uh, so, so I didn't understand that. I got in some hot That's water. Right. You know what I mean? Not because... 
well, I not I, but we got in some hot water because in, in because that agreement was understood or because that communication was understood as valid between the two of us and me not understanding his cultural um, custom, um, I, I made guarantees that we ended up having to really work hard to keep. No, I understand that. So, yeah, that, that I mean, I, I spent enough t- time overseas, but, it, it be, you know, a lot of people come crashing through and say, yeah, this is the way it's done in America or Canada or, or the UK and realize not re- where you are. And so it, it's there's a lot of relevancy and safety. And I think that's probably why in terms of the safety. And I remember the buses did the buses come out. The first thing they did was a quick 50, even if it was just short, this is what's happening today. It wasn't like last week's training. It was a daily ritual. And I think that helps with, you know, that safety because of that cultural barriers, because you do get workers and in the Middle East, you get workers from all over. So I think that's that's very important in those kind of, you know, whether you have nationalities, you do have a real myriad. You know what? I had some like with Halliburton, I used to run into a lot of guys that were global. They were all over the place. Um, So uh, I I love me some Texans, man. I love guys from Texas. They're awesome. But we had guys from the Middle East, too. And one of the things that struck me is is how polite and soft spoken (laughs) many of them are. Um, and, and, you know, when we're used to relationships and working relationships where somebody will tell you if you're wrong and somebody will, or or like a a voice will be lifted. Like, I mean, you know, the barrier is not just, um, it's not just cultural or country. The barrier exists between generations too. And it's that same barrier of communication, uh, like a millennial and a boomer, um, they, they almost speak different languages in the workplace. Yeah. No, they do. And, and it's, but this is, see, this is where that, you know, okay. So one, you can do the podcast, but the other is like the kind of a, a generational thing. And you got a young guy, the 19 year old you mentioned earlier, and then maybe the VR headset and, and there's Barry in the classroom buried with books. Hey, boomer. And, he, and maybe you're not Barry cause I'm the boomer, but you know, and then he says, you're not still learning the way grandpa did or whatever, you know, that kind of, and you just you can show that say well we're now using VR headsets but you, to your point there's three different ways and you have a boomer <laughs> you're Gen Z and then somebody in the middle maybe that's you you know and you just you run that video it makes, mm-hmm. you know, oh for sure just, I mean it sounds so many opportunities uh, you, to do something you're so creative <laughs> I'm gonna need to mine you for some information <laughs> no but I love that it's a bastion so oh, come on I gotta use this one more time bear. <laughs> Barry's podcast and you're like doesn't that guy know how to spell yeah <laughs> he's a he's a boomer yeah okay boomer right and you just play that out but come on go back you probably don't remember this because you're too young but remember meetings bloody meetings and it was um john cleese do you ever remember those movies those uh i know john cleese yeah so i know john, john cleese, cleese well yeah he was from the you know the, the british uh comedian so those meetings bloody meetings right he was just he would play, he would make a poke at the meetings, right? We always had that training. I think I had it in university and then when I was working, but they were just slapping at the meetings. So the HSC mm-hmm. training, your video could start in that sense, right? Just having fun with the generational gap and you bring everybody in. That instruction, you bring everyone in, those three generations, because you're going to have them, the old guys in the room, you're going to have the middle guys, and then the guy over there who's got, Look at that guy over there. He's got the VR headset. What is he playing games? And he's learning all this stuff. And then so the boss comes over, puts him over <laughs> onto the site. He's doing all this stuff. You want to hear, hear an interesting stuff. test for how, how to check that, the right? generation for somebody? Okay. You look at you look at somebody and say, hey, yeah. show me how you would motion to somebody that you're on the phone. 
right? So, so Gen Xers, boomers, we'll hold up usually our thumb and our pinky right. to our ear, right? And our mouth and look like we're on the phone. And a yeah. millennial will hold up yeah, their yeah, hand yeah. like it's an iPhone and hold it to their face. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. That is yeah. funny. That is great. Yeah. So, yeah, right. so like, you know, one of the things that we kind of, right? I mean, we have a lot of things that we work on, but we work on communication particularly because we find that, you know, like me as an apprentice electrician, I worked with a vet, the veteran, and I was a Gen Xer and man, we were like oil and water, right? I respected him. I was really super stoked to be working with a vet because I hadn't had a lot of exposure, yeah. but we didn't speak the same language at all. You know what I mean? And and, uh, and, and so like, consequently, we, there was a couple oh, of fellows that I had this yeah, 75 year old man who was like worried that I was going to make him, um, literally I'm working with a 75 year old man. This guy would not put down the tools. He wanted to keep working. And, uh, and here I am like a fourth year or third year electrical <laughs> apprentice. And I'm like, man, I got a lot of respect for this guy right here. Let me do the heavy labor. Let me do this. Let me do that. You take the easy stuff, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, get out of my face or I'll kick your <laughs> ass. I'm not too old like, for this. And I'm like, no, it's not an old thing. It's a respect thing. And like the two of us, yeah. oil and water. And it wasn't that we didn't like each other. We just didn't like the way each other worked. So here's a good one for you. I mean, so the they hired an HSC guy in the play, the factory. The, H, the HR guy, they, they mm -hmm. did the Google, or they did a Skype call. It was before Zoom. They did a Skype call. And there was CV and all. Nobody looked. Nobody checked his age. So he get he mm -hmm. gets there and he couldn't get up. The he was an HSC guy. He was a QC. He, he was supposed to go inspect some of the pipe. Uh, the, I think the fire and gas line. And they literally got Oof. day one. Literally hour two, he couldn't climb the ladder. He was too old. <laughs> so they got to fire him like within minutes. There's like, well, that's that's cool. You know, when I started working for Halliburton, they, um, they sent me out to a, a, to literally an occupational testing site where they had me, they timed me to see how many pushups I could do, how many sit-ups I could do, how yeah. many jumping jacks I could do. They had me walk stairs, climb a ladder, pick up something as heavy as a tool bag, right? Uh, like a, just a pre-qualification for employment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, if as an employer in Alberta, under, under the, like the regime yeah. or the world that we live in, if you hire somebody and they injure themselves on your job site or you aggravate an injury, you could be liable for that through W. Right. So the easiest way to do that is, okay, I don't want to aggravate an existing right. injury and I want to know about yeah. any injuries that you have coming in. We're going to send you to somebody who's going to simulate a work experience and they're going to, and they're going to actually document your behavior. That's, that's an interesting, interesting approach. So, but I guess you can't do that in a VR, but you could, I guess you can get up the ladder virtually, but you can't do it in reality. So, well, look, I mean, I, I really like this, Barry. It's been fun. And I, and I don't, you know, I, the podcast uh, world, you got to you got to Google that. But it's it's, I don't, it's not, not poking fun at, but that's a generational, you know, a cultural thing, right? Language can be different in terms of how you say things. And, and you've said it generational. I think we covered a lot of ground today, but we still uh, well, you know what? I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the opportunity as well. Um, it's a that, great, Eric. it's a great platform and I've been listening to some of your stuff and, uh, and I think that you really provide a great service to people in order to um, kind of get their name out there and to, uh, and, and to understand what it is that other people do. So I know for one, I'll be probably reaching out to a couple of guys, particularly the shoe guy um, to chat about some stuff the next time I'm in Calgary. <laughs> mm -hmm. So let's let's go to the social media for you. 
for sure. For sure. Yeah. So um, if, if anybody wants to find Bastion, we're at www.bastionsafe.com. Uh, through the website, you'll find access to our training. We have about 1400 different safety courses that are accessible to people. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive when it comes to the number. Um, and if you have wow. any questions about which one to take, which one to take, sorry, see, you got Barry's podcast and now I'm mispronouncing stuff. But, but anyway, if you have any questions about which ones to take, we'll jump in, get in there shoulder to shoulder with you and pick out the ones that are best for your business. Um, in, in, in some cases, in many cases, the most expensive one isn't the one yeah. you want. And in some cases, it quite definitely is. It depends on what you're after. But when it comes to online training anyway, you're already saving yourself probably about 50% when it comes to the cost of manpower. And then you're going to save yourself another probably... 60 or 40 percent in that range on just the cost of the course so um and then um and then if you want to find us on instagram or on the facebook we're there too uh, and we can uh, we can check out or, or work with you through there and then lastly we do have a blog where we issue probably about one article a week on something that we feel is relevant so um you know our last one that we wrote was uh how to make sure your employees are working safe from home because you have a requirement to make sure that people get uh, an orientation on, an, yeah. on a new work site. And if you've sent somebody home for work to work from home, they're technically on a new work site. How do you give somebody an orientation to their own house? Interesting stuff. I, in your lens, I'm telling you, you guys just having this discussion, it's like the lens, you know, that kind of everything. Do you, do you look, do you walk down the street and you go, yeah, there's a hazard. They better fix that. But I'm not going to. Do you know what I mean? Do you, it's like that. You just see it everywhere you go. Lots and lots of bubble wrap. Lots of bubble wrap. It's just incredible. Yeah. No, you know what? I had the benefit of having some, some like experts boy, that, right? that I can chat through things with. And and ultimately, I mean, that's what it comes down to is none of us is as smart as all of us when we put our heads together. And, um, and like, you know, you send somebody home to work for sure. You won't, like you would never think you need an orientation. But you know what? Ergonomic injuries, they carry weight too. And you can be entertaining a claim six months after people come back to work because somebody was working at their kitchen table in a chair that's not built for working from, right? Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, it's just like you put on the VR headset and you look at someone's home. Yeah, these are safety vapors. You send, you send them a report and the bill. You don't even have to go. You can just look at their house through the mm -hmm. whatever the right through the video imagery or the workplace you probably don't even have to be on site but i guess depends on how much mm -hmm. media, well i'm glad i'm glad that you found some things interesting i know i'm going to take a few Incredible. things out of our conversation today too well you know it's it's funny though because I, I, as an accountant and doing podcasts i could do the boring thing and you know but it's just there's so much i learned from you but it's in if i didn't have that hsc experience it would just be you'd be telling me and I go, thanks, Barry. But I had that. So I was like, this, yep. you know, it works out. You know, the, the, the examples I give you are real. And it's, and it's, it's uh, that, <laughs> I'm glad I just you enjoyed it. it. So thank you, you know what? for also um, One of the things the that's, that's key uh, for a safety, <laughs> like professional to understand is safety isn't sexy, right? So like you go out and you talk safety to people. People don't want to hear it because safety isn't sexy because you talk. You talk to an iron worker and he's proud that he's not afraid of heights and he can climb up yeah. two, 300 feet, walk a beam and, and like, you know, scoff at the thought that he might fall. Right. Like, you know, because our culture like validates the fawns. Yeah. Right. We yeah. love guys that are cool that aren't like, they don't. 
yeah but like but they God, we, I haven't heard that we like years the we think these people are icons and it's because they don't they, they don't experience fear or danger the same way other people do and you know if you tend to get labeled as a chicken if you are if you have a low risk tolerance yeah. and uh, and it's quite the opposite you know like i'd much rather go home at night kiss my wife give my kids a hug and not worry about like you know whether or not my insurance is going to cover sending my kids to university right but but that's the thing about it is safety has that like pocket protector tape yeah. on the glasses kind of feel to it <laughs> Wait, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like so, I mean, once you understand that safety isn't sexy, it kind of gives you an idea of how to approach it so that it's a little bit more palatable to the masses, right? Yeah. Well, with that, Barry, really stay safe. And, yeah, man, I enjoyed uh, it. Thanks very much. And, and thanks for, for today. And, and, you and too. Bye-bye.